bewilderment simply stagnates while the Samaritan woman progresses in her understanding from this man as being a Jew in chapter 4 verse 9 to a prophet in verse 19 to then genuinely asking could this be the Messiah in verse 29 it's a remarkable reversal of all expectations that she would grasp but Nicodemus struggled with and having grasped this, she has changed. In contrast to Nicodemus, who is asked, asking, how can this be? The woman believes. And she goes on from there to go to her fellow townspeople as an evangelist. That's what we see in verse 39. Uh, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Many Samaritans believe because of her testimony. Uh, that is ultimately the effect of meeting with Jesus. A woman who's considered to be the very least of people becomes a herald of the greatest. Someone who was despised, someone who was completely unwanted on the periphery of society becomes central to the work of God. And she takes her place as one of the great evangelists in the Bible. Now, you've got to bear in mind that according to Roman law, the word of a woman was worthless. In a law court or anywhere else, if a woman said it was so, it did not matter. But for Jesus, that is very different. In fact, in the life of Jesus, we see that he openly derives such an attitude towards women. When he is eight days old, we have our first evangelist, Anna. Uh, Luke chapter 2 verse 36 you see she's met the baby and she becomes the first evangelist in verse 38 and coming up at that very hour she, begin, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem having met with Jesus she goes out and tells everybody about Jesus of course she's not the only woman evangelist again Jesus openly derives the accepted norms of his time because it is women who proclaim his resurrection before the apostles are even aware that it has happened. Uh, Luke 24 verse 10 says that it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. I love that. According to Roman law, whatever they had to say was worthless. According to Jesus, not so. You see, the one who actually made women, he's the one that is the judge. The one who made Eve in his image, who gave every woman ever born a value that cannot be taken away, ensures that it is from the lips of women that the good news of his birth and his resurrection are uttered. And it is into that worthy list that we see the Samaritan woman bearing witness, changing her whole town. I can't help but grin from ear to ear when I read things like this. There are so many people that we would imagine God could not use. There are so many people that we would imagine surely God would not use them. And yet, what an amazing God we serve. What an amazing God we serve. That in weaknesses, in uh, things where society would turn to us and say that you are worth nothing, like the Samaritan woman, God changes a town through her witness. So in just the same way, the fact that Jesus is the Messiah is relevant to us. 
The question, what are you going to do about it, still hangs in the air for us to answer. And we have a choice. We can be transformed by the Messiah and we can be sent out to see people saved or we can be like Nicodemus, simply bemused. Let me encourage you then to be like the woman, (laughs) like the Samaritan woman transformed with meeting with the Messiah. So he's not just the saviour of the world, but he is our redeemer. And then compelled to go further, to tell that message to other people. Uh, to, to be the one that is a witness, to have this, this message on our lips, to have the joy of taking part when God does something. It is such a, a great privilege and joy to be there when the eternal destination is altered. And this is what she points to. It's a real joy to be the voice of God. A real privilege to be there when it happens. But when it comes to our witness and how we witness and how we point to Jesus as the Messiah, I actually think that when we look at the other half of the conversation, at Jesus himself, we can learn something. We can learn something really important when it comes to pointing to him. See, it's telling. Jesus first, he creates a situation where he's going to be hurt. Jesus makes his way uh, to Samaria. Uh, he sends away the disciples. He sat at the well when only this woman is going to be there. And then he engages with her. He makes space for her. Uh, and he doesn't just kind of walk in and say, you know, I'm the Messiah, don't you know? He says, could you give me a drink? Imagine you were there. Remember, the fact that she's drawing water at this time means that she is socially unacceptable. She's not even welcome to draw water with the other Samaritan women. And on top of that, remember, she's Samaritan. Jesus is Jewish. From the Jewish perspective, they are the elite. And the Samaritans are the very least of people. She is essentially, in Jewish culture, the scum of the earth. It's hot and you're thirsty. It's lunchtime and you're hungry. And this woman, who is socially and racially unacceptable, turns up. I don't know about you, but do you think, excellent, an opportunity to share the gospel? But do you sit there, hoping that she'll just go away? Jesus, though, immediately engages with her. He has space for her. And says, would you give me a drink? Which turns everything on its head because it's like he puts himself in her debt, almost. Uh, talking to her at all puts all of the conventions on their head. And, and it's not that I'm trying to say, oh, look at these great techniques, these wonderful gimmicks that we could maybe copy and use. Um, you know, if you're at work and you know, other people are having a cup of tea and things, you go, oh, can I have a cup of tea? Thinking, I'll be able to share the gospel. Usually you're told, go make one yourself. But, you know, that's, that's not what I'm trying to get at. There's something bigger, much more important, far more wondrous than the sort of the, the, the techniques as such. Jesus is interested in her. He engages with 
it would be acceptable for him to ignore her, but he does not. And by the time that we get to the end of verse 7, the woman knows that he is interested in her as a person, as a human being, and the door is opened. You can see that in what follows. In verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So he asks for a drink, something odd, but fairly normal. And then he awakens her curiosity with this living water. Now she hasn't got a clue what he's on about, but she's interested. And so as we go through the conversation, we see that Jesus is leading her to the message of the gospel that he is the Messiah. The important thing is that he genuinely engages with her. And so by the time he reveals his identity, this woman who knows she needs the Messiah realizes that she needs him. To masterclass in presenting the gospel, he starts with the ordinary and ends up with a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. But the most important lesson here is not, as I've said, some gimmick or ploy. If you're looking for that, you will fall at the first hurdle. When we look at this text, we see that he is genuinely interested in her. And so we need to be compelled to ask, are we genuinely interested in the people that we would point to Christ? It's actually quite obvious if you're interested in someone or not, if you're genuinely interested in speaking to that person or not, if if it's just simply there to tick a box, you know, oh, I, I shared about Jesus today. It shows. Jesus has a genuine interest. And we too, we need to be able to see people that God loves, that God died for, in order to effectively tell them the most important message. When it came to the Samaritan woman, Jesus engages with her because she mattered, despite what everyone else thought and said probably even despite what she thought. Before proclaiming the fact that he is the Messiah, pre-emptying all of that, there is something in the heart of Jesus that makes the difference, and that is love. It's the most important thing. When giving our testimony or attempting evangelism, this is what matters. In fact, it is at that moment that we realize, is the grace of God alive in our hearts or not? Is it fresh enough to make us see somebody and be compelled to tell them? Is he enough for us to realize how important he is? And so we want to point the direction, turn the conversation, whether it is somebody we've known for years or someone we meet on on a bus, somebody we we work with, the question is, do they matter enough for us to point to him? It's normal, it is common when you go into a church uh, like this one, that most of the people in the room will say, yes, I know Jesus is the Messiah. I I know that. I can call him my Messiah, my Savior. But that second bit with the woman, where she immediately goes and tells, that sometimes is a bit trickier. So I I thought I would finish with a story. 
I thought I would, I'd finish with a story that I remember hearing as a wee boy, so many of you have probably heard it before. But I thought I'd finish with a story because although many churches, many people in many churches accept Jesus as their saviour, they do fall silent when it comes to telling anybody else. Like it's a secret. Like the Great Commission was Jesus saying, now that you know, keep it to yourself. So here we go. Uh, Not far from where I come from, there was a particularly dangerous piece of coastline. Uh, There was numerous shipwrecks there. Uh, They would occur, in fact, all too often. And so after a while, a rather crude wee station was set up. Nothing more really than a hut, a boat, and a few hardy souls who were determined to go out, determined to keep a constant and vigilant watch. And with no thought for themselves, they'd go out day and night, tirelessly searching for those who were lost at sea. Eventually, some of those that they had saved from certain death and some of the others in the region who wanted to be associated with them, they decided to give some of their time, some of their money to help support them. And so the crew grows. Additional boats can be commissioned. Now, some of the members of the wee station were quite unhappy that the building was so crude, so poorly equipped. Instead, they insisted that a more comfortable place should be provided as that first refuge for those coming in, those plucked from the sea. And so they replaced the emergency cots with beds, they put better furniture, they enlarged the building, and as a result, the station became actually quite a popular destination, particularly for the members. And they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because, well, they wanted that sort of a club. Now, inevitably, fewer members were interested in going to sea, especially on that dangerous, life-saving mission, and so they hired lifeboat crews to do the work. And the lifeboat motif was still in the club's decorations. There's even a miniature lifeboat there in the room where the club met. And at about this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast. And the hired crews brought in boatloads of wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, they were sick. And the beautiful new club was, well, chaos. And so an appropriate committee was organised. And they decided to build some shower blocks and things outside the club. So that people could be cleaned and look the part when they came in. And at the next meeting, there's something of a split in the club. The the membership was somewhat split. Most of the members really wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because, well, let's be honest, they were unpleasant and a bit of a hindrance to the social life of the club. Some members did insist that life-saving was their primary purpose, but they were eventually voted down. So now the area was well-equipped with this wonderful club of great preeminence, which dedicated itself to meeting the needs of all of their members. Now, the shipwrecks didn't stop. It's just most of the people drowned. Now, someone like me cannot resist looking at a story like that and thinking, that's terrifyingly applicable to us. To every church, to be fair. You see, the great danger is that every church, safe, secure, saved from certain death, 
can become comfortable, can become a club, forgetting the great purpose as to what we're all about. The great commission that we're all founded on. Uh, We can begin to accept that Jesus is the Messiah without ever really seeing the need to then pass it on. And so I look at this Samaritan woman and I think it's right that we all are challenged anew, that each of us, again, are reminded we need to be changed by him. And we cannot keep him to ourselves. Instead, we need to be more like the the, the people uh, here at the very beginning, like a, a lifeboat crew working together to save those who would otherwise perish. That others who coming here would see as a, as a group of people bound together who love their Savior and who are intent on making a difference. And it's a challenge. I don't know about you, I quite like being comfortable. <laughs> and so it's a challenge. But I think it's a challenge that is a lot easier when we bear in mind why we are here, when we keep in mind that the Messiah himself, the one who called each and every one of us, leads the way, and his heart is full of love. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we open up your word, very often it is challenging. We thank you that all so often you are willing to see us changed. That in your grace and mercy you do not leave us where we are, content where we are, Lord, but you are willing to help us be more than we are, more than we could be. Lord, we thank you that you are willing to work alongside us and through us in order to reach others. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that we can call you our Savior, that you are indeed the Messiah, that we can look to and rejoice in. But Lord, help us to then follow you as you go out with your heart full of love for others. Let us think enough of you and enough of others to fail to be content not to share that wonderful message Jesus is the Messiah. What are we going to do about it? In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.